0: A good mix you got scrubs I got the- That's quite right, right, scrub a right, dumb down. We, yep, we both live in scrubs, yeah, that's, that's their the thing.
1: You are you ready? Okay. Uh, All right. No, I think it's a good mix you
0: got scrubs I got the- That's know, quite right, that's that's right. right. scrub a dumb married. down. We, yep, we both live in scrubs, yeah, that's, that's their the thing.
1: One. You are you ready? Okay. The da 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 Just roll with this because I'm going to have a little fun. (laughs) Hey, Facebook, how is everybody doing? You will notice that for the first time I have a man sitting next to me. He's better looking than me, and I'm okay with that. I'm very comfortable with this. It's an ego thing. Philly told me I had to shut up and do it because I was getting boring, and I needed somebody to spice this up. (laughs) So Alex Perez is a very good friend of mine. We're colleagues. How long have we been working together? Probably five years five years five years. Yeah, it feels like five years feels like five years He is the chief of gastroenterology uh, And I am just a lowly surgeon So I was gonna get out of the boring realm and bring in a guy who actually can answer a lot of your questions Because you guys have been throwing tons of questions at me about GI stuff And I thought I'd bring on the man, but let me do a couple things one Thank you everybody who follows this this has been absolutely fun from the beginning we said it was going to be about education. And that is one of the reasons why Alex is here to help us out. Two, um, please, please, please share this and link it. And also, we're going, to start, we're going to send some stuff over to link to your crap too. So we can all be together. Just a bunch of educated crap. This is going to be awesome. Um, the questions that you guys send in are wonderful. But
0: please
1: slide in some stuff to my DMs. So, I can get your questions answered. If you don't do it beforehand, then it's hard, you know, live to do this on, on the fly. So, please get them in there early and we get your questions answered. All right, so Alex Perez, oh God. Hi, Mom. If I don't do that, I get in trouble. You That's want to say right. hi to your yeah. mom? You can say hi to your My mom.
0: mom does not do Facebook, but hi, Mom. <laughs> That's like,
1: Say hi to everybody else's mom. Right. Hi, everybody else's mom. That's great. Okay. So Dr. Perez, you might find him as Alejandro Perez because he's Cuban, but he goes by Alex for years and years and years and years. So um, real quick, just so they know who they're talking to,
0: um, where did you do your education? So most of my training was uh, down in South Florida. Um, I did my uh, internal medicine at the Cleveland Clinic down in Weston, and I went up to New Jersey for four years uh, to do my GI fellowship. And then just came back down home, you know, Found uh, found girl beach.
1: I like it. So let's do some rapid fire questions because
0: I mean, that was important. Sure. But what's really
1: important is, um, yeah, no one cares right I'm training. Nobody no cares about it. Yeah, <laughs> crap. No, trust me. They want oh. to know. Well, what's your favorite workout?
0: Oh, well, that's a good question. You got I'm, a new thing I'm, going, I know. I'm pretty deep in CrossFit right now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I can answer that with just one, one question, but some workouts that we do are called Metcons, which are really intense kind of short interval stuff you know those kind of workouts where you kind of pass out on the ground when you're done oh that's it that's and you hate it. it while you're doing it but you love it when you're going home so that's that's probably my, oh, my buddy. he was thing. a
1: wrestler yeah clean hey, do you do clings cl- or snatches we do both snatches <laughs> and and yeah 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 all right crossfit junkies yeah there's your boy right there that's the, the face the face of crossfit yeah. yeah all right um okay number two if you had to be locked in a room for 24 hours with Nancy Pelosi or Dr. Fauci, who would you pick? Oof,
0: that's a tough one. I mean, I'm going to go with Fauci. You're going to go with you know, <laughs> I, think, I think he's done a decent job. i like to pick his brain. He also just turned 80, which I think is impressive. Just he turned looks 80. looks like he's 60. Well, um, that's funny because you just yeah. had a birthday. Yeah, yeah. So if you could
1: pick an age that you had to stay for the rest of your life, what age would it be? Ah, uh, That's a good one.
0: Uh, I'm going to go with probably 35. 35. is
1: kind of my... Was that I, the last I, time I, your patient said, are you, are you, you're you just a baby? Are you old enough, enough to do this a right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, how long does it take you to do a colonoscopy?
0: Uh, it depends. Some colonoscopies are more difficult depending on the patient's surgical history, their anatomy, things like that. I would say it ranges between very simple ones, sometimes 10 minutes, other times 30 minutes, you know, but the, that's kind of an average. I'd say 20, 25 is the, is the typical. Okay, great. All right, so I think... I
1: think you kind of have an idea who you're talking to now. Yeah. Uh, so so we'll get started. We're gonna get. He's got some Cuban flavor too. So Cuban background. Right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. That's it. That's it. And the food is good. And this man's wife can come in the background. background. Be careful. Oh, <laughs> by the way, we're remote at his house. He's been nice enough to let us come to his house with his big. Fireplace and beautiful chairs and get comfortable. So thank you for that and thank you to your family. I think amongst, uh, he's got three kids and I got three kids. So the six of them are strangely being quiet right now. I don't yeah. know how that's happening. but we are in a food coma. They're in a food coma, that's how we do it. All right, so let's go to a couple questions. I'm gonna start with one of my questions because I think they're good. But they just changed the recommendation for colonoscopy. It used to be 50 years old and now it's 45. But I know there's some caveats, that, like if you've had
0: family history
1: and stuff like that. Tell us when people should get their colonoscopy.
0: So, first thing, the, the recent change to 45 was made from the American Cancer Society recommendations. They found that the highest group of cancers or growing colon cancers ha- are being found in patients under the age of 50 and they of course did cost analysis and research behind this and came up with the new recommendation as a general screening for at-risk patients to start colonoscopies at 45. Cool. That being said, um, so you're almost ready for your colonoscopy. I'm, I'm I'm pretty close. Yeah, I think I'm even ahead of you. You'll be doing mine very soon. Okay. But what if they had a, a family history? Sure. So you know, big question we get in the office sometimes is, you know, I have ex-family member that had colon cancer, what's my oh. risk, when should I start screening? I think the first question is, you know, which family member? We get most worried about first-degree relatives, right mom, dad, brother, sister. We get very worried about early age of diagnosis, anybody under the age of 50, definitely under the age of 40, we think those patients… Because they might have a genetic They have predisposition. a stronger genetic, okay. absolutely. So the general rule is, if it's a first-degree family member, uh, ten years before their age of diagnosis. So, for example, okay, if right. your dad was diagnosed at 55, you should start colonoscopy at 45, right? Right. And on top of that, if you're if it's a first-degree relative, the guidelines haven't changed for a long time on this, but it's 10 years younger or the age of 40. Okay, so that's, right. That that's makes sense. kind of by the board recommendation. Yeah, and
1: we use those recommendations in like breast cancer and other things too. So those are good recommendations. Truly, it, it typically takes a cancer five to ten years to grow to a, a level where it can be of significance. Anyway, so yeah. I think that that's kind of where those come from. As long right. Absolutely. All right. So that leads me to my next question: Is a lot of our a lot of our listeners are are Facebook junkies? Um, would tell me, man, I got my, my dad. My dad had colon cancer. And I said, well, how old was your dad? Oh, he was 66. Okay. Where, yeah. wh- what is, does that send off red alarms to you? Or is that, you know?
0: I think, I mean, it's a, it's a tough scenario. I think if you, your family was diagnosed at a later age, 60s, 70s, 80s, unfortunately, the guidelines still say you would start at 50 yeah, or 40, whatever we yeah. talked about, right? Now, if somebody comes in with family history and symptoms, I think that changes the game a little bit, right? Right. Somebody said, hey, this, you know, I, I have new onset constipation and nothing else has changed. I have rectal bleeding, uh, I have pain, I'm losing weight without trying. I mean, these are kind of alarm symptoms that we say, I almost don't care about the family history, we gotta get this checked Yeah, out.
1: let's hit those again. So those are actually signs concerning for cancer, right? You said rectal bleeding, where right. you used to have none before. And that can just be hemorrhoids, or stuff like that but but if it's new and and this is something going on this is concerning you said weight loss without trying right what else else?
0: you know definitely any new change in bowel movements now you know we have to put an asterisk behind that not everybody who has a weekend of constipation has to have a colonoscopy but if somebody you know has been regular their entire life and and now for the next month or two their bowels are changed significantly they need to take laxatives They're they're having discomfort, that's something that needs to be investigated. And particularly if you've reached that age of 45 or 50 and have not had a screening. I mean, that's right, kind of- Right, makes sense, yeah. that makes sense. By the way, I've said this a thousand, thousand times. Screening
1: tests are the greatest invention medicine ever came up with. They are what saved your life. So, if you're coming up on 45, time to go see this
0: man, it's time to go. And I'll throw one more thing in there, you know a lot of healthy males over the age of 45 or 50 have concerns about doing the colonoscopy. I'll tell you the procedure itself is completely painless because you're sleeping. The toughest part usually is the day or the night before you know, you have to drink a small laxative that's going to clean your bowels out. That's just kind of a natural process. Yeah, but, but that's changed too, right? Sure. Yeah. T- tell us a little bit about that. I remember they used to
1: have to always drink a gallon of the Go Lightly, which yeah. was miserable. That's
0: changed, right? So, in fact, that has changed so recently within the past two weeks. Oh, really? just came out with a brand new bowel preparation that is form. Oh, wow. And the tablets are pretty small. They're not the old-school big tablets that patients had trouble with. Uh, I think that's going to be a big game changer, I mean, oh, it's there's, there's no need for huge laxative solutions and feeling nauseous and, and, and but during, during your prep,
1: you can still drink clear liquids and stuff like that, right? Absolutely, yeah,
0: we want you to stay hydrated, you know, clear liquids, broth, yeah. stuff like that, we don't, we don't want you to be miserable, but there's a process to getting the, the cold clean out. And, and you got to remember, if it's not clean, if you're
1: not pooping clear, then he's not gonna see clear, and that's really important. I think that's really super important. Um, All right, last one, and then we'll start going to you guys' questions. Tell me what you think about Cologuard. Uh, Cologuard, if you guys don't know, is a test that you can actually, they can send you home. You take a little sample of your stool, you put it on this card, and you can even send it back. It's a thing you can even do at home. Um, There's been a lot of talk about this, and so many people are like, oh, I'm not gonna do my colonoscopy, I'm gonna do Cologuard. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm ready to go yeah. there, you, yeah. I don't know, what do you think?
0: Well you know, Cologuard or the company behind Cologuard has great marketing because the commercials are fantastic, <laughs> yeah. <And> it doesn't <laughs> need come with any, any that of, that of the thing. information that. that you <laughs> actually need and, and this is a pretty common question nowadays. Um, the first thing I'll say about a stool Cologuard test is it's not indicated if you're having symptoms, so anybody coming in with a symptom, you're not a candidate for Cologuard, right? right. Number two. If you have a family history of colon cancer, you're high risk, you're not a candidate for right. Good. And point. number three, if you've had polyps during previous colonoscopies, you're not a candidate. So any of those things are on your history, you can ask that as an option. Okay, when do you like it? When, when do you like Cologuard? So I like Cologuard in a scenario where a patient maybe has other medical problems and we think the anesthesia might be an issue. We think the preparation is oh, not going to be yeah. successful. Great point. Um, at the very least, we get some good information to rule out. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to keep in mind, and we talked a little bit about this before, what, what are some of the limitations of a, of, of a Um It has roughly, depending on where you read, about a 10% false positive and false negative rating, meaning mm-hmm. 10% of people with guard will get a normal test and may have something bad in the colon. And I'm not sure that I'm ready to kind of take that risk there. Sure. If otherwise the patient would, you know, would do well with the colonoscopy. But
1: I think, and I think you just nailed it. I think if you're younger, if you have no family history, no previous polyps, uh, you know, things of that nature, no change in, you know, rectal bleeding, nothing, that. Maybe it's not a bad test for you. I think, you know, and again, this is Radicke's record here, not anybody else. I think I'm still start. With sure. a colonoscopy yeah. of 45 and if that was clean I think right. then I would say okay yeah, hey, I think hey, you know
0: I think you're you're ahead of your time there because I I'm I think in the next three to five years we'll see the some of like make it into the guidelines and I think they're gonna start with a colonoscopy yeah and if that's negative you may follow up but there you um, go. yeah there's there'll be a role in it I'm just not sure I'm I'm, I'm buying that book yet
1: all right I agree with this man, not only because he's the specialist, but he'll be doing my colonoscopy in the next couple (laughs) years, that's why. All right, all right. Uh, This is a question from Jacqueline. Uh, In regards to bowel changes that could mean colon cancer, are there more specifics uh, in regards to exactly what changes to look for? We kind of already hit on this, but let's do it again for Jacqueline, because there's some big things to look out for. Go ahead. Yeah,
0: Yeah, so again, one of the big things is some abrupt change in bowel function, right? I mean, look back one, two years ago, what's been your normal bowel function if, and if the past couple of months things are significantly changed and you haven't had a diet <coughs> change, a new medication, you're not significantly stressed out, those are things that can kind of change right. the bowel movements, up. but I would definitely say a change in bowel habits, number one. Number two, pain that we can't really answer, right? I mean, you come in with lower abdominal pain, we don't have an obvious source, you know, you tie that to a change in bowel movements, we start, you know, the ball starts rolling on that. Right. Number three, I mean, these are more severe symptoms, but you'd be surprised how many times people see rectal bleeding and don't see anybody for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's never normal to have blood in your stool, to have blood in no, your toilet right, paper, right, that's uh, under no circumstance. So that that's definitely something I would look out for. And then I mentioned before the weight loss thing, right? Um, there are many things that can cause weight loss, obviously. Um, yeah, some stress, you do on purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, unintentional weight loss is always a concerning symptom for us. Right.
1: And especially as you get older too, sure. you know. And, and I would say, and there's some in stage stuff that this is when I see it, and it's and this he's way in front of me with respect to screen, but um when he says change in stools, is it also not doesn't just mean diarrhea or constipation right? it can mean uh, you used to have larger caliber stools, now you have these pencil thin sure. ones, yeah. things like that. It means like the tumor can be compressing your stool, um, things like that, I think we covered yeah. most of Yeah, it.
0: That, that, that falls within that realm of changing stool, uh, caliber and consistency, that kind of thing.
1: Now this is a question that in my opinion is extremely important, <laughs> extremely important. Oh. Everybody wants to know the answer. Here we so go. Why does your coffee make you poop? And <laughs> Listen people. I have my coffee at seven o'clock every morning. Sure,
0: sure. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you clockwork. Okay. I'll, by yeah. nine o'clock you I'm know, just saying. For many people it's their natural accident. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's natural natural. Natural. But why? Why does it seem to work? Well, you know, I think two two reasons. Number one, you know, we know that caffeine itself is a stimulant within the GI tract. So particularly uh, first thing in the morning it augments the natural awakening of the colon, right? So there's there's kind of a cycle when you're sleeping where the colon itself slows down a lot and as you wake up, your morning hormones come on, your GI tract wakes up, and most people drink coffee in the morning. You heard that, your morning hormones. Yeah. Come on, that's important. The morning hormones are important. Yeah.
1: But I can tell you, I can tell you, it's, it's, I think my wife is putting laxatives in my coffee. Well, she, she might. She might be. <laughs> Just to get me back, girl. Yeah. I know all, pretty <laughs> well. She might be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's not going to uh, decline or admit to that, but yeah. I can tell you right now it happens. Okay. Uh, and thank you, Wanda, for that question because that's important. <laughs> that's important. All right, here's one from Alan, and this one's actually more people buy one of these than you can imagine. I mean, yeah. truly, go on Amazon and look it up. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Squatty Potty. So Alan says, I bought a Squatty Potty a couple years ago, and this is, a, let's describe, this is like a, a thing where you actually can put it on the pot and it helps you keep a proper, they call it proper posture, right, yeah. for a bowel movement. So first, what do you feel about the potty, the, the, the Squatty Potty, uh, and is there really a, a proper positioning for pooping? I don't
0: know. Well, I mean, do I think everybody needs a Squatty Potty? Probably not. <laughs> you know, if your bowels are normal, if you're not, Straining significantly on the toilet, um, you should be fine. I do believe that sitting in that position that is provided with the squatty potty, physiologically helps. You know, if you you'd be surprised how many things have to happen for your pelvic muscles to relax, for the axis to tilt, to actually get your bowels through. And that seated position with the feet elevated, the knees a little bit higher, is so there's something, well to it. To there's something to it. Now, you can also stack some books, a couple cans. <laughs> you don't have to go on Amazon and consider you are it. a camel's <laughs> tomato soup. Get your,
1: get your legs <laughs> up there, people. Put get your kids up.
0: on the ground,
1: whatever you need. <laughs> whatever you can eat. it is. Just right. don't do it. Yeah. yeah, no, I, uh, I actually agree with you. This is one we totally agree on. Uh, there is something to positioning, right? You have the levator muscles. You have the issue of tuberosity that, that connect the issue of rectal muscles. There is something to proper positioning for yeah. bowel movements, but at the same time, not everybody needs it. Mm-hmm. Most of the time it works out just fine. I'd
0: say, Alan, if it works, just keep it going. Keep it rolling. Yeah. If it works, keep
1: it going. Um, all right, good. Let's go to a couple, of th- I wanted to touch on a couple of topics, which I think yep. are important. Um, one, it's something that you just see more and more and more of, and I, I think this is because it, we just didn't have the diagnosis, right? We used to just call this, um, we give it the definition of IBS, right? Irritable bowel diseases, syndromes, things of that nature. But they put the two big guys up there, right? There's Crohn's and there's all of colitis. Sure. And, and this is something, and you can tell me, I think we're seeing more and more of it. Sure. Um, because I think we're getting better with the diagnostics on that. Um, but I know that they vary so much in their symptomatology. You know, so some people may get diagnosed with Crohn's in their 20s and it just may be a little bit of blood in their stool. That was it, and they move on. Some people are crippling, right, in right. their 20s. So can, can you tell us a little bit about, and if they're so different, you can kind of yeah. pick them apart. Diagnostics, like how would you diagnostics, diagnose somebody with Crohn's, does it always run in the family, or is this something, if they say, Man, my mom had Crohn's, what are my chances, my risk? Yeah. yada yada yada. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I mean the first definition I'd probably define is, so that we're very clear, I would keep, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, which is something we call IBS, uh-huh. completely separate entity from IBD. And I, I kind of hate <laughs> that they only separated D. by one letter, but right, right. IBD is the term that we use to encompass Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. So mm-hmm. that's a completely different set of diagnoses versus irritable bowel syndrome. And we can talk about that separately. But yes, so Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, I'd say typically gets diagnosed at an earlier age, I'd say teens, 20s, sometimes a little bit 30s, it tends to hibernate for a while and there's a second kind of risk around 50s or 60s where somebody can present as as their initial symptoms. Um, And you're right. You know, once somebody gets diagnosed with this and I'll I'll kind of go in through that too, the first question is what's the severity, right? There are people with Crohn's, ulcerative colitis that have very mild disease, easily controlled, First level medications don't ever require surgery, and we can manage those patients very easily. You know, uh, but you how know, how would you
1: let's let's say um, my 16 year old daughter is having some, some new blood in stool sure. and some abdominal pain. Now here's the problem, right? Stress that's on kids these days. The stress that's on everybody these days. Two, she's a young girl. She maybe started the menstrual cycle. Uh, you know, there's you know there's the belly pain. Yeah. There's anxiety. I I bring her to you and I go hey what do you think you know my my aunt had Crohn's what do you think how do you how do you approach that patient
0: yeah I mean definitely you start with the initial wave of workup Um, obviously that's going to include some lab tests specifically for inflammatory markers if there's any component of diarrhea there are very good stool tests we use nowadays that also can give us inflammatory you know information Um, CT scan right? I mean we don't always send everybody for good. a CT scan good. but you know if somebody comes in with these severe symptoms, they get a scan and they have inflammation in a significant amount of their GI tract, we progress to things like colonoscopy, right? Now, how
1: good are biopsies these days? I mean what, what are our pathologists giving Yeah,
0: us? no, I think you know the big thing with, with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis is that in fact it's diagnosed with a biopsy. Nobody can give you a diagnosis of Crohn's are ulcerative colitis based off a lab or an imaging test. You have to have a histology, a biopsy. Yeah, and right? let's,
1: let's say that again. I just, I, can't, I just cannot, in my opinion, I cannot say the importance of that enough. It is diagnosed with pathology. It means tissue in hand, and that okay. is important because I know Dr. Perez feels this way too. We do not want to give you a diagnosis
0: sure. of Crohn's. Right. Right. That's the last thing yeah. you want and to tell I, somebody. That's the first question I ask patients when they come in and say, I have a history of Crohn's, I have ulcerative colitis. And I kind of say, well, let me see the paperwork. Are one. you sure? Right. Yeah. Because general colitis is not Crohn's disease. Right. And yeah. you're not trying to be a jerk. Right. You I'm just not, want to no, know no, that no. that's. You know, to me, and I, and I don't want to be dramatic about it, but saying, like, I think I have Crohn's is like, I think I have cancer. Well, do we have it or not? That's I mean, right. That's, we have to figure this out. Because the treatment is way different for Mm -hmm. that versus everything else, right? And even
1: biopsies can be inconclusive sometimes, right? I mean, you gotta kind of go back. Sometimes
0: they are. They just show inflammation. Specifically for Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, we see chronic changes there. There are very specific things that the pathologist looks for. So it's a it's it's a very well defined diagnosis, but it usually is a combination of like I said, progression between labs. CT scan, and eventually colonoscopy type testing, you know. Okay, so tell me, okay, so now
1: let's say we got our diagnosis, it's Crohn's, uh, and I know severity can be different, but let's talk about treatments, and treatments have come a long way. I mean, just in a decade or so, right, we've we've gone into the, from anti-inflammatories, right, mesalamine, these kind of things, to um, immune therapy, right? Yeah. Where are we at now?
0: Yeah, I would say generally um, there's three levels of treatment. The first class is what you mentioned, the anti-inflammatories, the mesalamine-based therapies. The next level is called uh, immune modulators, things like azathioprine, 6MP, Uh, and then we get into what's called biologics, which are what you see on commercials, right? The Humira, the simsias, the things like that. Um, We are shying a little bit away from the immune modulators because we found that most of the long-term side effects come from that, so if you have very mild disease, we will do our best to get away with just the anti-inflammatories. I'll tell you the vast majority who don't respond to that, we do jump to biologic therapy. Um,
1: now if somebody, if somebody's, uh, and I don't to get too specific, but if somebody's just having uh, the easy going Crohn's, the easy going mesalamine's anti-inflammatories, do you still use prednisone and stuff like that during like a heightened?
0: We do. I hate prednisone you right, know I mean, right, it, it right. works very well for what it needs to do but it carries probably the most side effects of any treatment option right and you talk about things like uh, blood sugar elevation water retention irritability insomnia it's kind of a nightmare right but if somebody's that sick and you need to get them well quickly that's what we use unfortunately to me if your disease is so severe that you need prednisone, then we're past the end of okay, We gotta right. start talking about the next step. The so right. prednisone or steroids should be looked at as a bridge to something else. It's never, oh, I'm on prednisone, my, my Crohn's is doing well. Right, and, and, and for some hope for everybody, they're coming up with stuff all the
1: time. I mean, sure. This is new stuff all the time.
0: Yeah, we have, a, there's about six or seven biologics available nowadays, I mean, right. and this has all come the past 10, 15 Yeah, right, years, the
1: Imuron, so. the, uh, the Humira, right. like all these guys. The There's all
0: kinds of, you know, different pathways that they treat now. I mean, it's, it's pretty advanced.
1: Well, I mean, I, I'll give you, um, I'll give you a real pat on the back. I mean, you know, I really enjoy it, that's why we're doing this, but, uh, I send all of my patients who have these issues to you and I know that it can be tough as a physician, um, but it is, it is just wonderful because you do not want to go to somebody who doesn't deal with this all the time. Sure, I mean, even, yeah. even amongst GI doctors, there's guys who like to take this on and there's guys who right. just, they're not sure. All right, so, um, so I think we've nailed uh, at least a lot of the IBD stuff down. Any other honorable mentions, anything else you'd, you'd mention? No, I think
0: you, you mentioned a little bit also, you know, not every GI physician wants to take these things on. I mean, it is yeah, it talk. is a very involved diagnosis and you have to have kind of time and patience with it, so just do a little bit of work in finding somebody who's who's interested in that. Absolutely. Um, for, for my
1: bariatric patients, just because this is special, so actually, you know, Dr. Perez and I get along really well because... He's not just the GI doctor who stays in the office. He actually does advanced GI stuff and a lot of uh, what, what uh, we call them procedural GI or what do you inva- inv- Invasive or interventional, interventional GI, there you go, interventional GI. So he loves actually being in the operating room which is really kind of cool. We've done some really, I got to pat ourselves on the back, we've done some pretty amazing <laughs> yeah. cases, things that you actually don't see unless you're at big universities because he went to a big university, I went to a big university. So we've done some really cool stuff together. So he knows my bariatric patients well. One of the things, and it's obviously not just bariatrics, but one of the things they ask me all the time is, doc, I have malabsorption, I got this little belly, what do you think about probiotics? And and I gotta tell you, five years ago, I would have just stuck my nose in the air and said, dude, you're wasting your money, go buy some yogurt. But have they gotten better? I mean, is it?
0: yeah, the short answer is yes, they have gotten better, and I think part of that is just market competition. There's so yeah, many yeah, options yeah, yeah. out there. Um, I'll tell you specifically, at least from a GI standpoint, we don't have a general recommendation in post-bariatric patients to empirically start a probiotic, right? Okay, so
1: like the American College hasn't just said, yes, right. do, do this everybody. No, okay. no. That, what
0: are your personal thoughts? So that being said, you know, number one, I don't generally recommend starting a probiotic, right? And when I say probiotic, I mean you go to CVS or Walgreens, you buy the capsules, you take one every day, that kind of probiotic. Because they're not cheap, right? I mean, they're, No, they're $30, $50 a month. So as a general rule, if you're feeling okay, um, as of right now, I, that's not a blanket statement. Number two, my experience has been two symptom groups that I find that get the most benefit from this are probably things like gas and bloating. Right? That's a tough thing for us to manage sometimes. We don't have great options, but probiotics fits in very nicely there, and the risk of probiotics is almost zero. Um, So that group does well. And then also, if you're having loose stool, I find that those types of patients seem to do well with, uh, with the addition of a probiotic. And the other thing I always add to that is, you know, worst case is we try for a month or two. If you don't see benefit, we can stop it. There's no real. Risk associated. Nobody has ever gotten a serious infection or, or made sure, a side yeah, effect sure. from this. So, all right. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put you on because I hate doing this.
1: Do you have a favorite brand?
0: All right. I I and I get no pay from this. I know. All okay, no, right. No, I I don't, come don't. on. I'm going to go buy something right, tonight. Yeah. Tell me what I'm buying. So I'm, I typically recommend uh, mm-hmm. either Floristore. Uh, okay. Or another one that's called Culturelle.
1: Are these over the counter? Or these are
0: over the counter, but the the, the strains that they have are probably been the the most studied strains. Uh, so okay. they have some science behind them, actually.
1: Yeah. So again, there's no endorsements here. Right. Yeah. I just you know you, people always say you know if I. Uh, you know, I wish I had a, a, a GI guy who was my best friend. I could just ask him what yeah, to, you know. Yeah. So, which, by the way, uh, I, I know you get abused all the time. I get abused all the time. But we, you know, we it's love right. this stuff. It's We're nerds. Right. We love yeah, this stuff. So right. it doesn't matter. So there you go. Abuse this man. Uh, there's his favorite types of probiotics. And I will say, I don't disagree anymore. I think there are some benefits to uh-huh. it. But what I used to just tell people is go get some active culture, uh, you know, Short. yogurt and Short. get to work. Right. But, But I think the benefits are there. Um, Alright, last question and I won't won't keep you anymore. So, uh, we were talking about um, just general uh, general public these days. There's so many things out there on food allergies, right? Or, or, you know, I gotta go gluten-free, or I gotta this, or I gotta that. Um, I've questioned a lot of that. There have been so many cases that, you know, somebody went gluten-free and like, oh my goodness. Like, it made a huge difference. I often used to question that and just say, well, yeah, but did you just eliminate so many things in your diet that you know you just got better because right. you, you're not doing that? It's eating healthier. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. Now, I think you, know, you can do biopsies and things these days, right, and help rule out a lot of that. Sure. How do you sure. approach that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the big thing that we're probably talking about is something called celiac disease, right? Okay, which celiac. Is, yeah. Which is essentially a true allergy or inability to digest and absorb gluten. Right, and it does damage in the GI tract. And, and gluten, let's just define yeah. that for everybody. Gluten is like a, a byproduct, like we put in food, right? Sure, so. sure. Uh, it's it's in a lot of wheat products and things like that. Um, it's very difficult to digest for a lot of people. Right. Um, but there there are certain things we look for in patients that have the full blown celiac disease, right? And that is often diagnosed with a biopsy, right? So you get an endoscopy. You get a biopsy of your small bowel. We see those celiac changes. We have a diagnosis. Okay. That being said, within the past probably five, seven years, I would say, you know, they have found this group of patients that are we term them now uh, non-celiac gluten sensitive, right? Okay. So they don't meet criteria for celiac. They don't show the changes on biopsy. They don't have any antibodies for celiac. But guess what? When they ingest gluten, they don't feel well. And when they come off of gluten, they feel better, right? So you do the biopsies, you do the tests, and right. even if they're negative, you still say, hey, let's try yeah. a gluten-free diet. I'm all for, uh, let's say, a two-week trial of gluten-free, see how your symptoms do. Now, I agree with you. Not eating gluten is probably healthier, right? <laughs> and it includes a healthier diet. Don't say diet. that! Stop, so, stop saying You that. may be feeling better just because you're eating better, you know, overall. Um, but gluten specifically, and you gotta keep in mind, if you're gonna do a gluten-free diet, it's got to be 100. percent Yeah, I agree. It yeah, takes yeah, us uh, maybe a half a slice of bread to activate your symptoms if you're gluten-sensitive. That's how much. So you can't just so say, So a 12-inch hoagie, I just passed right, away and yeah. It doesn't count. Right. Domino's right. pizza for a weekend is not. Yeah. But you're seeing some
1: some really good results for people who legitimately have sharp, sure. you know the symptoms. Okay. Sure. Sure. Awesome. All right. So personal questions to, end the, to wrap this up. What do you think the most the greatest advancement in gastroenterology in the last 10 years has been?
0: Probably. Because you've been out practicing for over a decade now. So, so what, what do you see? I'd say probably the advancements in uh, interventional endoscopy. I mean, the types of things that are available nowadays for large polyp removals, for tumors anywhere in the GI tract, for Absolutely. biopsying areas that were typically inaccessible. Uh, I mean, the kinds of things that, that can be done nowadays um, endoscopically are pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so let me jump in real quick because this is something where I where, where this is kind of like around my business too. Uh, this was huge. I remember when you guys started doing this this stuff where they actually can go in and inject under a polyp, sure, lift it up, transect it all during your colonoscopy, right, uh, and then. You never had to go to surgery, which is huge, right? Sure. People think yeah. surgeons gonna be upset about this. You take, this is wonderful. Right? You can take out large polyps and even low-grade cancers, right? I mean that aren't invasive under colonoscopy. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: yeah it's definitely a, a huge benefit for patients, and, and like you said, you know, avoiding surgery for a non-cancerous polyp is a big deal. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Unbelievable. So good. That's one of the. That's one of the good investments. One of the things actually we've not talked about, and I think we're gonna have to now just do a whole nother show because we're probably coming <laughs> yeah. up on an hour. because But we haven't even hardly talked about upper endoscopies. Sure. So we're talking about uh, my my belly hurts. I got, yeah. I have reflux. I have this. We haven't even touched on this stuff. So unfortunately, we're running out of time. So we're gonna come back. We're gonna do a whole part two yep. on upper the yep. upper abdomen. GI ulcers. I got peptic ulcers. I got reflux. I got. The doctor tells me I got a hiatal hernia. What is that? Blah 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 blah. Um, but I think we're gonna end it on uh, if you have not had a colonoscopy and you are forty five and older, it is time to see this man. So brother, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thanks for the awesome. thank you guys. Oh my god, this is fun. Yeah. Facebook, we love you. What is what does it say? Hi, that dangly thing in the back of what is that? What is that dangly thing in the back of your Actually, throat? Uvula! That's your uvula! <laughs> and some people yeah. are missing an uvula. I say uvula. Anyway, guys, that was so much fun. Uh, we do have a Valentine's Day special on self care and how to take care of yourself. And then I think we're going to probably have to come back pretty soon for part two of this. Let's do it was it. awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Facebook. Share this video. Instagram and Facebook, put this man's face on the map. All right, take care.
0: You just did a walk
1: lyric.